Uh, two spots to get to. This morning, we're talking about um, one of the greatest foundations for Christian living. And I think it's amazing how God sets things up. Everything Cody just mentioned, you guys, through Luke chapter 9 and the inward reading, and about how we're never really on vacation from our calling. We can go on vacation. Uh, trust me, I'm planning on going on vacation uh, at the end of the summer. We're going to go to the beach for a week and go camping, or we might go backpacking uh, in the spring. We might do all kinds of cool stuff. I'm going on vacation. But we never go on vacation from our calling. And our calling doesn't mean your occupation. You've got to, got to understand that as you grow up, Everyone's going to ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up, right? Are you going to pound nails and be a construction worker? Are you going to be the president of a company? Are you going to be uh, a secretary? Are you going to be an artist or a ballerina? Are you going to be a musician? Like, what are you going to be? Look, be what you want. Be what God's going to call you to be. But your occupation, what you do for a job when you grow up, is never going to be or rarely going to be your calling, your calling was what God appoints you to do with your life. Oftentimes, you'll get to use that calling. Look, if you're called to be an evangelist, but you don't get paid full-time to go to Africa and start a church or run around telling people about Jesus, can you be an evangelist when you go to Starbucks? Yes or no? Yes, obviously. You can talk to people about Jesus at Starbucks. Could you talk to people about Jesus at the beach if you're an evangelist? Yes, could you talk to people if you work at Nordstrom's? Yeah, you can talk. You're like, I don't know. Yes. If you have a mouth at the beach and a mouth at Starbucks and you still happen to have a mouth and a voice box and life in you at Nordstrom's or pounding nails on the construction site or driving a truck or whatever it is, that your calling never leaves. Your occupation can change. Right now, your, your occupation is student, right? I'm a junior higher. Sweet. No, but you're a Christian first. And so that never leaves you. It never evades you. Today, we're talking about the fact that as believers, we have got to what? Guess what? Say something. Okay. We've got to what? Say something. And you guys just scream it at me. Not for me, but for you. Just say something. Say it now. Say something. Okay. Now, I want to ask you that as you grow up, you don't only say something, but you say something worth listening to. There's a lot of people in the world that are saying things, most of which are not even worth our attention. We have the most valuable information in all of humanity, and it is time to say something, but something worth listening to, to say the truth. I want you guys to find First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, probably maybe put a little marker, tough piece of notepaper, the little string things. You're like, what is this for? That's to mark your spot. Just plop that beast in there. And then flip over to Romans chapter 10 also, all right? Say something. Why are we to say something? I'm going to give you three reasons why we should say something. One is we are required to. God says it's, it's kind of a non-optional here. We are required to say something, to be a light to the world to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, that this is our calling. If you say, I'm a Christian, one thing you know for sure is that you are called to say something about Jesus. You're called to say something about Jesus. Now let me ask you, if I was to say, hey, go home, and when no one's looking, sit down with a piece of paper and write down something about Jesus. Most of you could probably do that, right? And if I said, okay, um, at night when you're getting ready and you're brushing your teeth for bed, look in the mirror and tell yourself something about Jesus. Most of you could probably muster up the courage, right? It'd be kind of scary, 
But you could look yourself in the eye and be like, man, Jesus is God. Good night. Right? You could do that. Most, most of us. Some of us would just be afraid of our own shadow. But for the most part, we could do that. And then if we said, hey, okay, now the next morning when you wake up, sit down at breakfast with your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad or maybe even the cat and tell them something about Jesus. And most of you that were able to look yourself in the mirror could probably sit down with the cat or the dog and tell them something about Jesus. Jesus loves you and he died for you. Good night or good morning, whatever. You could probably do that, right? But then if we said, hey, on your way to school, when you see that person waiting for the classroom door to open because the teacher isn't there yet and who knows what, drink one too many cups of coffee or something, and you're sitting there and you're waiting, tell that friend next to you something about Jesus. It gets scary in that moment. We could easily write something down that no one will read. We could probably tell ourselves something in the mirror. We could probably witness to the family dog or cat. But when it's really time to say something... Even though what we're saying isn't changing, we don't do it. If the message isn't changing, if we can write it down and tell it to ourselves in a mirror and preach to a dog or a cat, we obviously know the truth, right? Then what's the problem? Are we just too afraid to share the truth? See, oftentimes we feel like, I don't know what to say, but the reality is, you could say something. You could write something down you know for a fact is true about Jesus, about salvation, about heaven and hell. And maybe you would just write, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Or you would look at yourself in the mirror and say, he's coming back for you, man. He went to prepare a place in heaven for you. Maybe that's all you but you know something. So it's not that we don't know what to say. It's that oftentimes we're too afraid to say it. Why say something? There's three reasons. One, we are required to, all right? Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, he says, Go, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we are told go, is that an option or a command? What do you think? That's a command. If mom says, hey, go clean your room, that's a command, right? If dad's like, hey, go take out the trash. That's not a, like a, hey, if you feel like it when it's convenient and there's, it's the right time and you muster up the courage and the strength and you're not afraid of the dark, right? My boys right now, they're at that time of, plus we're talking about coyotes, so maybe it's not fair. We're talking about coyotes and it's like, hey, take out the trash. And it's like nine o'clock at night and they're like, oh, in the dark, yes, go. I'm not giving you an option here. Go take the trash out. Sometimes God says, hey, go into what all the nations and make disciples. Go. Well, it's kind of dark over there. Go. Go tell people about Jesus. I don't know what to say. We know what to say. We'll see a disciple, though, right? Discipling and, and evangelism are two different things. Do you guys agree or disagree? See, discipling is coming alongside someone for a given amount of time and, and teaching them what it means to follow Jesus. It's a, it, typically, it's a long-term project, Okay? evangelism, man, you're going to share with someone, and it could be a minute to an hour, but you're going to tell people about Jesus, heaven, hell, sin, how to avoid the flames of the lake of fire, and how to walk on streets of gold. You're, that's it. Boom. And you're the messenger of the, of the gospel. So you think, well, see, it says go make disciples. It doesn't say go preach the gospel. Let me ask you something. 
Could you possibly disciple someone if they've never made a decision? Discipleship starts with evangelism. You cannot disciple someone that has not made a decision to follow Jesus, and they can't make a decision to follow Jesus until they've put their faith and trust in him. They have to hear the message, right? Uh, There would be absolutely no point in you ever buying someone like me Dodgers gear for my birthday. Don't buy me a blue hat or a Dodgers jersey or anything. Why? I'm saved. I know that the angels are better than the Dodgers. I'm not going to follow that. It's a, it's a lie, right? If you're a Dodgers fan, there's no reason for me to buy you angels gear, right? You're still lost searching for the truth. You with me? Here's the deal. First, before I buy you all the gear and the season tickets and we get the foam fingers going, before any of that happens, I'd have to convince you to change teams, right? There's no point in getting you all amped up about something you'll never, ever care about. We cannot, it will be impossible to disciple people until we help them realize, man, you're on the broad path leading for destruction, but there's a different way. There's a narrow path that leads towards everlasting life, and it is Jesus. If we don't learn to say something, we'll never be able to do something. Discipleship will completely fall apart and fade away if evangelists keep their mouth shut. We have to say something Mark chapter 16, verse 15. 16, 15. And he said to them, go into what? Where are they going? All the world. So find one place on planet earth that doesn't count for me. Anybody? Uh, They make six scuba tank stuff now and submarines. You can go to Atlantis even though no one's there. The ocean? Is the ocean on planet earth? Okay, it's on planet Earth. I'll give you 100 bucks. Find me a place on planet Earth that's not on planet Earth. Exactly. Because he says everywhere you go, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to every creature. Even in Atlantis, you go find an octopus, tell them about Jesus, all right? Like, or that family cat or dog, go into all the world. There's the word, preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I believe this. If I'm an absolute jerk, hard-hearted, hate-filled person, I'm like, Jesus loves you. You're going to hell, and you need him. Like, like, probably isn't going to win very many people over, right? Probably isn't going to win very many people over. What we do, we must do in love. Paul even contrasts this. says, some people preach the gospel out of goodwill and out of love. Others, they do it out of selfish ambitions, but it's to be out of love. Our actions matter more than we'll ever realize. Jesus said what you've done to the least of these, to the the weakest or the nerdiest or the most unpopular person, Jesus says, I take that personally. That's as if you did it to me. But I've never met someone that got saved because you opened the door for them. I never met anyone that got saved because you took care of their iguana while they were on vacation. I never met anyone that got saved because you bought them a cup of coffee when it was cold outside. I never met anyone that got saved because you were their friend. Now, those can literally open the door maybe sometimes to where they'll begin to trust you, but there's a point where your mouth has to open and you start telling them something about Jesus. 
If all we do is live great lives, being really nice to lots of people, we are just making their ride to hell a lot more comfortable, right? The goal is not to make the ride more comfortable, it's to change the destination. So somewhere in all of your good works that are a light to the world and all of our love, there has to be a moment where we say something out loud, preach the gospel. I hate to break it to you, but preaching means to audibly proclaim the truth out loud with your mouth. You guys know Harold? I'm going to introduce you to Harold. This is Harold. Boom, there's Harold, all right? Um, Harold, what is Harold doing? Harold is heralding, right? This is what they would do back typically medieval uh, period or when the king was coming, they'd and they would make the, the king has arrived. They would announce his coming. Uh, or oftentimes it would be maybe, uh, you got, I don't know if you've been in medieval times where they're jousting or sword fighting, but the announcer or the referee or someone with authority that was to announce or proclaim, they were heralding. They were making widely known to everyone that could hear what was happening. The definition of to preach the gospel literally is the word herald. You can throw the definition up there. To herald means to publish Okay, to proclaim openly something that has been done. Always with the suggestion of formality. You're being very serious about it. Okay, it's important. Gravity and authority means it's, it's, uh, you're not afraid, you're not shy, you're not weak. Gravity and authority, which must be listened to and obeyed. That means you don't get up, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I'd like to tell you about, well, I don't know if you care, but Jesus is real. I know you don't believe in Jesus, and that's okay. It's not okay. It's okay that you don't believe in Jesus. I just want to share something with you. That's No, it's, hey, man, I don't know a whole lot about the angels or the Dodgers. I don't know a whole lot about much, but I know this. Jesus died on the cross for you. This idea of heralding or preaching the gospel, it's with authority, it's with power because we're moved by the Holy Spirit to even open our mouths in the first place. There's two ideas that I think of when this, this modern day herald, okay, we, they don't dress like that anymore, but we still have modern day heralds. Uh, the first one, I think, uh, boxing ring, maybe? Right? If you ever go to any kind of place with an announcer, or it could be a hockey game, I thought of a boxing ring, the microphone drops down, they're not like, hello? Is this on? Okay, ladies and, and gentlemen, I'd, it's kind of time to, to start now. So if you could take your seats, we're going to get going. And, oh, it's okay. You don't, you're not ready yet. I'll be back in five minutes. What, what do they do? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, weighing in, in the red corner at 295 pounds. Like, they're right? Am I right or am I wrong? They're not afraid. That guy's in there just, I got something to say. So listen up. In the same way, you guys know throughout history, a guy named Paul Revere got on a horse, rode through a town. He wasn't like, hey, guys, something bad might happen. What did he do? The British are coming! They were, I mean, he was flying down the road so that everyone could hear. That is the definition of what it means to preach the gospel unto all the world. It isn't to tiptoe around like little spies. It is to boldly proclaim 
maybe not in volume. You don't have to buy a microphone and a speaker and go to school and stand up on the table and be like, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow, okay? It's not in volume. It's in authority. You are sent on behalf of the creator God, King Jesus, to deliver a message that will transform eternity. You don't tiptoe around. You are the authority sent by Jesus to the people around you. We've got to say something. So why don't we? I don't know what to say. I think we do. Maybe we're not theologians. We couldn't give an an hour and a half long lecture on the Gospels or the book of Romans, or we couldn't teach through the book of Revelation or talk about, you know, 10 proofs for the flood. But we know the truth. We know something. It says to every creature. This, This verse used to stump me. Right? He said, and then go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Does that mean my dog? Sure, preach to your dog. The more you preach to your dog, the more ready you'll be to talk to people on the other side. Or maybe your neighbor will be on the other side of the fence and they'll hear you talking to your dog and they'll get saved in the process. I don't know, all right? It, it, does, it literally means, you can put the definition up, it does mean uh, everything that has been created. So you start talking, maybe share the gospel with the, the tree and the kid at the park will overhear you and they'll get saved. I don't know. But really, it has a slightly more specific meaning in this context. It means a, a, to specific, a specific class or race of people. All those that have been created, doesn't matter if they're red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, right? We sing that song all the time. Racism is the most gnarly, ugly, demonic thing I've ever heard of. Luckily, we didn't have to live through the horrible times, but the more you watch TV and you see things and you listen to people, it hasn't gone away. Or we classify, maybe it's not racism by color, but it's classification by groups. Well, I don't like, they're jerks. I don't like talking to them. They, they're all like preppy and, or they're all, they're all depressed and they're black all the time. Like, I don't talk to them. Why not? Oh, they're all too cool. They're on the ASB club. Like, what the heck? You're borderline racist. You don't talk to someone because of who they hang out with or how they act. You are a borderline racist. Oh, he looks scary. Racist. Unless he's running after you with a knife or pulling out a gun or screaming and yelling at you. Just because he looks mean, you label him as he is? That's racism. It says you go into all the world and you boldly preach the gospel unto every class of humanity. Rich or poor, cool or uncool, strong or weak, you go for it. We're required. It's not an optional. You go make disciples. You go preach the gospel. I love it. I want to read you guys Revelation chapter 7. You can write it down. Look it up later. It's a snapshot of heaven after during the tribulation period when the judgment of God is coming down upon the earth. We're up in heaven, it's awesome. He turns, the, whole, the scene kind of pans from the earth being destroyed in the judgments and it pans to heaven for a minute. It says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could even number, more people than could ever be counted 
of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is awesome. It says, there are going to be people that are blacker than night and whiter than paper and more yellow and brown and every color in between. And they're going to be talking different languages. But in heaven, they'll all agree on this. Regardless of skin color, height, nation, history, anything. They'll say, our God owns salvation. No one else does. We have a message that no one else has. We have the truth that no one else has. We're required to. So as believers, one thing for sure, we have got to say something. It's time. It is time to say something. One, what? How come? We are required to. Number one thing, we're required to. Second thing, guess what it is? We have a responsibility to. God says clearly in his word that to whom much has been given, much will be required says, if you have one dollar and God's going to judge you on how you spent that dollar, it's like, well, okay, but what could I do with a dollar, right? I mean, you could help, but buy a kid an ice cream from the ice cream man or something, like, I don't know. But what if he gives you $10 million? Like, oh, that's a lot of money. And he's going to judge you for every one of those dollars. That's a lot of responsibility. It says to whatever he's given you, you will give an account for. Every day of life he's given us, we will give an account for it. Every year is 365 days. Hey, what'd you do on Saturday? What'd you do on Sunday? What'd you do on Monday? I gave you life. You couldn't do it on your own, so I gave it to you. What'd you do with it? And then I gave you my word. You've got probably four Bibles. I think the average American home has seven and a half Bibles in it, something like that. It's crazy. I don't know where the half comes from. Dang math. But the average home in America has over seven Bibles in it. That's wild. Where people, you know, in China, you know what they do in prison? They'll sneak in half a page of the Bible, memorize it, and then when they're walking around, they'll pass it to each other because it's completely illegal. And they'll pass it around and they'll trade different pieces of the Bible and they'll memorize it. And if they're caught with it, you're dead or you're beat up or you're in prison longer. And so they'll memorize it, memorize it, memorize it, and then they walk around, they pass it around, pass it around, pass it around. You know, in Africa, I think it was about eight or nine years ago, they did a challenge. Anyone that could memorize the entire Old Testament, I think, I forget what they gave them, I think it was like a new pair of clothes and shoes. By the hundreds, people were coming across the deserts, memorizing, in the beginning was the word. For in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And starting at Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the beginning of Matthew, memorize the entire Old Testament. What in the world? And yet we have seven Bibles laying in our home at all times. We have a responsibility to. If you saw someone stuck in a burning building, right? If you saw someone stuck in a burning building and you were outside and you saw the shadows and they couldn't get out and you're sitting there like, man, I bet it's hot in there. I wish I had a phone to call the fire department and then you fill your pocket and like, hey, a phone. And you're like, you know, I just don't feel like calling 911 today. I'll just watch them burn. 
I could be wrong, but I think you could almost be charged with murder. You could have helped and chose not to and just sat there and watched them die. You're guilty of murder. Or you guys go to Circle K or 7-Eleven, you get your Slurpee and you're drinking. Some guy starts choking on his hot dog or chips and you're just, he's like, help me, help me. And you're like, let me finish first. Huh? Rude. The heck's wrong with that guy? I don't even know him. That's, that's awkward. And you just keep sipping your soda till he falls over dead. He's asking for help. Because we have a responsibility. There are people on their way, on that broad road that leads to destruction. They're on their way. Not only do we, are we required to, but we have the responsibility to bring the truth and the hope. James chapter 4, verse 17 tells us clearly, Therefore to him who knows to do what is good and does not do it, to him it's sin. A responsibility. You guys, hopefully you open to Romans, right? Romans chapter 10. Check this out. This is awesome. Romans 10, verse 13. For whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember, no racism with the gospel. Whoever. That means everyone gets the opportunity. You preach the gospel to the stranger, to the friend, to the family member, to uh, whoever. They look scary. Give them the gospel. They'll become unscary. I don't know. For whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've never believed? How would they call it to Jesus if they don't believe in Jesus? And how will they believe in Jesus of whom they've never heard? How are they going to believe if they don't hear about him? And, and how shall they hear without a preacher? If someone will not boldly proclaim the truth and they never hear it, how could they possibly believe it? In verse 15, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Some of you guys, the Lord wants to send. Some of you guys are called to be evangelists. Some of you guys, God will send you into your schools. He might send you into other states. He may send you into other countries. But some of you guys are called to be evangelists. Remember a couple years ago, I may have told you a story. Canyon Hills Junior High, right up the street. Okay, public school. Right, where we feel like we can't do much for the Lord because it's a public school. Dude, God can do whatever he wants, anywhere he wants. He is God. Hello. I remember there's a, a guy, I mean, about four or five years ago, walked around the campus with a coffee can in his backpack. Did I tell you guys a story? Walked around the campus with a coffee, empty, empty coffee can in his backpack for about three months asking people for change. I don't think that he was allowed to do that. He just didn't think about asking. So, Young junior high kid, I think he was 13, walking around Canyon Hills Junior High collecting change from his friends for two to three months. Saves up something like $237.19, right? Turns around and goes and buys like 42 pizzas with it, throws an outreach, and 100 people between the two lunches got saved on a Thursday at Canyon Hills in the physical education room. It's amazing. Some of us will be given opportunities to go to other nations or other countries. It says, how beautiful are those of the feet, those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Why are we afraid to share the gospel? I know it can be intimidating, right? If you had to look yourself in the mirror and tell, your, tell yourself something about Jesus tonight before you go to bed, 
Jesus loves you. you could, most of us could do it. There's the dog or the cat in the morning. Good morning, you know, little fuzzball. Jesus made you. It's awesome, actually. Jesus made you. Loves me, but made you. You can tell the dog or the cat something. So we know what to say. So why don't we say it? It says it is beautiful when we bring glad tidings of good joy. Any, very few, probably, there's probably one or two, but I can't think of any kid that's afraid of Santa's coming on Christmas Eve. No! Right? They don't run away. They're like, I think I heard him. Now, you know, they didn't hear him. But they're laying in bed. I'm going to see him this time. I'm going to see him. Why? They're so excited. Why? Not because of how he looks. Not because of how he talks and his belly shakes like a bowl full of jelly or any of that stuff. Why? Because he's bringing something good. That's why they love Santa Claus. Have we forgotten that we have the good news? Someone that listens to you and finds new life in Jesus, they're not going to be like, oh, man, here goes Dave again. They'll be like, man, there's that guy. He told me about Jesus and the truth, and he prayed for me, and he, it would be a beautiful thing. First Corinthians, right? That was your other marker. First Corinthians chapter 3. I got to get out of the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is sweet. I love this, guys. We don't necessarily... Well, here, let's read it and we'll talk for just a minute. But 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 8. The question Paul's asking, who in the world do you think I am? People thought he was awesome. Oh, Paul, I know Paul. I had dinner with him once. I'm better than you. So it's who in the world, do you, what, are you, what are you thinking? Who is Paul and who is Apollos, this other guy? They're just ministers through whom you've believed. You just listened to what we had to say as the Lord gave to each one of us. God gave us something to say, so we said it. We said something. I planted, he says, and Apollos, that guy, he watered. But it's God who gave the increase. So neither he who plants, he's nothing. Paul says, I'm nothing. I came and stuck a seed in the ground. Woohoo! Like, I didn't do anything. And Apollos came and watered it. Like my water sound. Watered it probably a couple times. But he's just a dude with a bucket of water. Who got an award for that? Nobody. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Some of you are called to be missionaries, I'm sure. I don't know to what extent. Could be to your campuses in a big way like the coffee can guy. Could be to other countries, I don't know. But God has called you, gifted you with evangelism. And not everyone is called to be an evangelist, or a missionary. But everyone is called to be a witness. To go and to make disciples of all nations. To go and preach the gospel to the, all the world. Every one of us. 
We are required to. We have the responsibility to. And to be totally and completely honest, you're ready to. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Don't make me do it. You can do it. You're ready to. And that's what we'll talk about next week. But you're ready. You know the way. Isn't it funny? The disciples were there. Jesus said, I'm taking off. But don't worry, you'll see me again. Like, where are you going? He says, you know the way. He tells them, you know the way. And they, we don't know the way. Jesus says, okay, Thomas. Little hint. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Remember, that you know that verse, right? John 14. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What provoked Jesus to say that? He said, hey, I'm going, but you already know the way. And they say, we don't know the way. Yes, you do. You know, you're ready for this. I'm going to give you my spirit. I've already given you my word. And they're going to come together to create life and new life. And that more abundantly is going to be awesome. We don't know the way. Thomas, you know the way. What is it? It's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Guys, you're more ready than you think. It's just time to say something. All right? It's cool. I'm going to end a little early. Um, Luke, you guys can come on up. This is, can I call you my friend? We used to serve together forever ago. Okay. It's my brother from another mother of a very similar color. What? Uh, yeah. This is Luke hey. and his wife. They just had my a baby who's probably not here. This is Miss Lindsay. Uh, Everly is back she there, is. my oh daughter. My gosh. Um, yeah. Guys, but they have an awesome, awesome, awesome ministry and life and stuff. So as we're talking about all this stuff today, it just fits so perfectly. So give them your attention for a couple minutes.